So there's usually a lot of excitement when a couple uh, has a child. The excitement extends to all of us, but it's especially true of people who are having difficulty in conceiving. And then after the conception, there's months of preparation, there's excitement, you know, you get in the room ready and everyone's getting excited about what's coming. Um, especially, you know, as a couple awaits for the arrival of their child and finally the child's born. And then there's this further joy that parents love to celebrate with others following the safe arrival of this newborn child. And that's what children do. They're, there's some excitement that it's almost mysterious in the ability to be able to explain it. You know, when they put this child into your arms and maybe it's your firstborn and, and you wonder, will I have enough love for this child? And, and you're just overwhelmed and you, you can't help but love this child. And the same is true with every other child that may come along within your, your family. Well, Luke devotes a significant portion of his, of his gospel to the arrival of two children. And the reason he does so is because both are a matter, um, both in the matter of how these children were conceived, but the, the mothers were experiencing something completely unusual. Elizabeth conceived her son John while she was old and well beyond the childbearing years. Mary conceived her child when she was really, really young and just starting out in life. Uh, without the intervention of a human father. And so both of these were miraculous. And specific to this is that both boys were given to their mothers by the promise of God. In the gospel account of the birth of John the Baptist, as he's going to become known to be, Luke shows us how God fulfills his promise. And I think it's an important thing even just right there. John the Baptist is not known as John the Baptist until much later in his life. Up until that point, he's known as John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be finishing off Luke chapter 1 today as part of our series of going through the Gospel of Luke. And so if you are unfamiliar with where the Gospel of Luke is, you just go ahead and use your table of contents and it'll help you become familiar with where things are in the Bible. And so Luke chapter 1. Our passage is going to be looking at uh, all of like 57 to, to 80, but specifically for our reading, we're looking at verses 57 and 58. Here's what it says. When, the time, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we are continuing on in your word, Lord, that we would have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are open to you today. And to recognize, Lord, through the life of Elizabeth, through the birth of John the Baptist, that we would recognize that you are the God who answers and keeps his promises. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. And so what we have here is an interesting thing. We have this account of the birth of John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole thing to you so that you understand what we're doing here today. So here's what it says. When the time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared in her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. 
and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Now, understand, like this is contextually and historically, this is kind of what's done. They're named after your father. Um, and so name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother, his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. And so remember that, that naming of a child had to do with this family connection. And that often children were named after uh, other family members and most certainly other family members if it wasn't being named after the father. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and all throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And so as we walk through this passage, walking forward, we, we have this account where Elizabeth gives birth to a son. And this is this promise that she had from the angel Gabriel, right? So angel Gabriel comes to her and delivers this message. Uh, sorry, delivers this message to Zechariah. And, and, and there is this, this promise that they were going to receive this son. And I think it's important for us to say that a promise was fulfilled just as God said it would be, and, and God always keeps his promises. If a promise was true, then so was the outcome. If the promise could be counted on, then so could the outcome. And so the promise here was that these older people who were faithful to God were gonna receive a son, and they were going to name him John. And as promised, they have their son. It also says here that they rejoiced with her, and they fulfilled Gabriel's promise recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 14 that many will rejoice at his birth. William Barclay relates the custom of this time. He says, when the time of the birth was near at hand, friends and local musicians gathered near the house. When the birth was announced and it was a boy, the musicians broke out into song and there was this universal congratulation and rejoicing. If it was a girl, the musicians went silently and regretfully away. A boy was born as promised, and his name was John. So that they, they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah. So both Zechariah and, and Elizabeth knew the name of the child had to be John, according to the command from the angel in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. And then something weird takes place. Like remember, if you remember, and if you don't, you can look back on our previous messages, starting with the book of Luke here, but there Zechariah was made mute. Like he couldn't speak. But listen to what the scripture says. It says here that they treated Zechariah, or sorry, they, they actually treated him as if he were deaf, not just simply mute. They made signs to him to find out what he wanted to call his son. That's an interesting thing to me, that he, was, he had these signs that were made out, presuming, of course, that he was unable to understand them, under, be able to hear them. They made these signs, and of course he asks for a tablet that he could scribe on. I find that interesting. And then his name is John. Zechariah responds in total faith. It wasn't, I think his name should be John. For Zechariah, 
This was a recognition of a fact, not a suggestion. And even though he had been, he had failed before, God gave Zechariah the second chance. Like he failed in believing God's promise before, so he was made mute. And he, he has the second chance from the Lord about what it is that is happening today. And it was a return from the point of unbelief and the experience of will in the appropriate way. It's just a really neat thing to see Zechariah turn and, and, and move in the direction that was more honoring to the Lord than dishonoring as it was before. And then as soon as he names him, his mouth was immediately opened. As Gabriel said, Zechariah could speak again. He spoke, he was praising God, and it was fitting that Zechariah's first words were to praise God. His chastisement for disobedience and, and had not made him bitter, it made him better. Instead, it made him want to trust God even more in every opportunity. And, and so there's this beautiful thing that takes place where you see the fulfillment of the promise. You see Zechariah move in place from disbelief to belief and into honoring the Lord. And then we have what's called Zechariah's song or prophecy for some. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in this house of servant David. And he said through the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun, or sorry, by which the rising sun will give will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and shadow of death in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to israel and so zechariah was filled with the holy spirit and he prophesied, and, and the prophecy that he was offering was this prophetic, prophetic voice of the Lord that had been silent for 400 years up until now. And so God spoke through Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 and 28. He spoke through Elizabeth in Luke, 41, uh, Luke 1, 41 to 42, through Mary in Luke 1, 46 to 55, and now through Zechariah when God spoke again. It was all connected to the theme of Jesus and his work. All of these different speeches in some way pointed to Jesus. It all culminates in Jesus. Zacharias could truly say, blessed is the Lord God of, our, of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. It was as if God was present for Israel, in other words, has visited, in a way not expected for a very long time. Finally, the silence was broken, and people were now able to hear from the Lord. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And so we know this was truly spirit-inspired prophecy because the first focus of his prophecy was not his son. It was on the unborn Jesus. Jesus is the horn of salvation for us in Luke 1, verse 69. 
Jesus is the one who saves us from our enemies. Jesus is the one to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Jesus is the one to remember the covenant. Jesus makes us able to serve him without fear. So Zechariah didn't even know Jesus yet, but he praised him. He loved him and he was passionate about him. And we know so much more about Jesus than Zechariah did at the time. We get to look back on the story. He's looking ahead. And so what can excuse any kind of coldness that we might have on the matter when he was able to praise God for the things that were about to happen? How do we get cold to the things that did happen? Elizabeth, Mary, and now Zechariah were each the mouthpiece of God that sung this beautiful song of Jesus' coming. And these songs were a concert proclaiming the coming of Jesus. And it says here, and you, child, so now he's referencing his own son, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And so after the initial focus on Jesus, the Holy Spirit then led Zechariah to talk about his newborn son and his place in God's great plan. Like John was a true prophet, the prophet of the Most High. John had a unique calling to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. John would teach and give knowledge of salvation to God's people. He would show people the remission of their sins. He would give light to those who would sit in darkness, and John would guide God's people into the way of peace. So John had this monumental role in the one who is the forecomer of the Messiah. And then it says, speaking of John still, that the child grew and became strong in spirit. And so this promise of God comes to fruition in John's life. It's completed in John's life. John was in the desert till the day of his appearance because that's where God trains many of his prophets, in the desert. Isn't that an interesting thing? I mean, there's an awful lot that you could say about John and his birth, and there's more coming to talk about John yet as we continue on through our series here in Luke. But I think it's important for us to be able to say that having analyzed the account regarding the birth of John, that we should trust God's promise. That God always fulfills his promise. With God, a promise made is a promise fulfilled. He promised that he would send a messenger who would be the forerunner of the Savior. And that Savior being Jesus. And that messenger was John. God fulfills his promise at the birth of John by the naming of John and even through the destiny of John. No one or nothing can thwart God's purposes. And his purpose is to have a people who are living in fellowship with him. That's why he created Adam and Eve. And sadly, of course, we know that Adam broke God's law. And that originated original sin. That's how sin gets passed down to all of us, we're all born with a sin nature. It's passed down to all of us except for Jesus. God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world, the Savior of sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. And in a few weeks, we'll study Luke's account. Over the next few weeks, we're going to study the Luke's account over the birth of Jesus. But before Jesus was born, John was born. And John was born to point people to the arrival of the Savior, Jesus. 
And Luke wrote the account of the birth of John the Baptist so that we would trust God and trust his word. Luke wants us to believe that Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. And so it's an interesting thing because if we look at Luke chapter 1 as kind of a prologue to the coming of Jesus, then it's almost as if there is this announcement upon announcement of something amazing, like truly amazing is about to happen. And that would be the birth of Jesus. And it's announced, or, or, or the forerunner of Jesus's ministry is John in his ministry. And so we can have faith in the promises of God. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. He promises that if we are in his hand, nothing can take us out of his hand. He promises uh, to work for the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus. He promises all kinds of things. There's the uncomfortable promises of Jesus. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but don't be afraid, I've overcome the world. Or uh, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. I mean, these are uncomfortable to some extent, and yet there's comforting in knowing that we're, we're somewhat associating with his experiences. But I will say this. Luke wants us to believe that Jesus is the one who came to seek and save the lost. We would do well to believe in Jesus today. To believe and be saved. That's the point. Luke's Gospel starts with that we may have, or that Theophilus would have confidence in what he has been taught. And he was taught that Jesus was the way. My encouragement to you would be this. Jesus is the way. It's a historical fact that he was born. A historical fact that there were eyewitnesses to the accounts that are given here in the Gospel of Luke. And so the invitation then is to believe in Jesus today in order to receive salvation. Believe in Jesus today in order to find real joy in life. Believe in Jesus today to be able to have purpose for the day. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that whatever is here that you want people to be impressed, have the impression laid on, Lord, that, that you would reach people in a way that they need to be reached. Lord, that the truth of John's birth would not just simply be a historical fact, but Lord, that we would look into why it was so important for him to come in the way that he did, that he was a, fulfill, a fulfillment of the promise, Lord. Both Old Testament and New Testament, the fulfillment in the Old Testament prophecy of a voice crying out in the wilderness as the forerunner to the coming of the Messiah, but also, Lord, as a very real and a very present promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth in that they will be bearing a son. I thank you, Lord, that you're the God of promises and that where you make a promise, that promise is fulfilled. Amen.